Hello and welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist podcast dedicated to studying gender, among other things, of course. Today we have Kellen, Zoe, and Ozzy. And today we are talking about the panic around gender studies amongst conservatives in America and honestly kind of all over the world. Um, I got the idea for this episode when I noticed that a lot of the criticism of the Biden student debt relief program was invoking like gender studies students as being um, like particularly unworthy of debt relief. And mm-hmm. this, yeah, like we'll get into it. I'll share some some quotes um, that illustrate this point. But seeing it over and over again got me thinking about like why conservatives were using gender studies majors as boogeymen or like boogie people, whatever the term is. And Thank you so much for your <laughs> yes. inclusivity, Kellen. Yes, of course. Wait, it's like instead of snowman, like winter friend or something. Yeah. <laughs> exactly yes um and like yeah so i i I started thinking about like what this says about like the conservatives mental version of gender studies and also about their views on the debt relief program and i also think it's worth noting that conservatives have been freaking out about gender studies for a long time and it didn't just start the summer with the student loan stuff so this episode we are also going to be talking about some of the material ways that gender studies programs have come under attack But before we get into all that, I thought we could start by hearing from our resident master of gender so they can give us a little background about what we're really talking about. So Zoe, as someone who is actually currently enrolled in a gender studies program, what even is gender studies? Thank you so much for asking. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I've been enrolled in gender studies programs for the majority of my post high school life. And do you know what? No one has ever asked me that before. (laughs) Um, That's so rude, but I'm glad we're going to hear the answer now. (laughs) So, yeah, I thought I would kind of start off with like my own experience and then get into a little more like the academic definitions. So... For me, I took my first gender studies class during my first semester of undergrad, which was in 2012. Um, And in this was like Women and Gender Studies 101 course, we read a lot of pretty radical books, which the kind of like theme of the course was looking at false binaries. And I remember distinctly two of the books. One was Israel Slash Palestine and the Queer International, which is a book I've cited on the podcast before. I've reread it um, since, at least in part. And a book called As Nature Made Him, which is a book about intersex twins who were raised as, like, different socialized genders. Essentially, one was raised as a boy, one was raised as a girl. Um, I have not read that book since. I can't really vouch for it. But at least at the time, like, I wasn't really familiar with the idea of being intersex. And so it was certainly new information for me. Um, Yeah, I don't remember the other book specifically, but, like, I just really loved that course. And from there, I continued studying gender at... All three of the undergrad schools that I went to, um, four if you count where I studied abroad, and (laughs) um, I have not told that story on the pod or to most people in my life, but I finished undergrad in 2018 with a bachelor's in gender studies. Um, But yeah, I was part of like a feminist student union that did 
feminist organizing on campus, which wasn't only people in gender studies, but certainly a lot of people were at least involved in the program in some way. And I also became really involved in harm reduction organizing um, while I was an undergrad. And my like undergrad thesis was a Marxist feminist analysis on sex work organizing. And we'll kind of talk about this more, but like um, <clears throat> feminist organizing and gender studies are super intertwined and like always have been. So there's a lot of there's a lot of overlap and there's a lot of like encouragement for students in those classes to also be involved in community organizing and like different feminist movements. And so as we'll talk about more later, like political education and consciousness raising is also a really big part of the feminist pedagogy. So I continued engaging in um, political education through DSA, which we talked about last week because I was in a reading group with Ozzy and I also facilitated groups. Um, and then, as everyone listening knows, uh, on the podcast doing feminist um, education work as as we're all doing. And then, as probably all listeners of the podcast know, unless this is your first epicode episode, in which case, welcome. Um, I'm now in a grad program that's for gender studies and social work. And I don't know, I love gender studies. It's some of like the best spaces that I've been in are the discussions that have happened in like those feminist classrooms, which was especially important to me in undergrad when, as I alluded to, I dropped out of undergrad a couple of times and overall just had like a horrible time with academia. Um, and I, I will not stand up for academia, but the connections <laughs> and learning that I got through um, like my women and gender studies experience has been really, really important to me. And I never fucking thought I would go to grad school. And I told everyone that. And here I am. <laughs> um, and I think amongst people on the left as well, like women and gender studies is often perceived as kind of like this lib thing um, of like, it's like liberal feminism. And you're just like mm. talking about women and like pronouns <laughs> um, and things like that, at least from reactions that I've gotten. But the large majority of gender professors I've had have at least some element of like materialist and anti-capitalist analysis. And personally, I think it's really hard to dedicate your life to studying gender and like not become a Marxist, um, <laughs> <laughs> which, yeah, which I think is seen by, I've certainly had like a couple lib professors, but I think it's really the, the minority in that field. Mm. And yeah, now I'm teaching gender studies to undergrad students in a course on bodies, identity, and the state, um, which is really my dream to like propagandize um, the youth. Yay. Love that. <laughs> yeah. And um, if any of my students are listening, hello. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I wanted to get into a little more of like some academic definitions of women and gender studies and feminist pedagogy. So I pulled out a few bits of definitions from this book that's called Rethinking Women's, Women's and Gender Studies, which has um, several different authors from the field, like each chapter is a different author. And I just want to give a little caveat here. This is kind of for the whole episode too, before I get into these, that um, these definitions and when we're kind of talking about the origins of gender studies, we'll say women a lot. And in this historical context, it really refers to people of marginalized genders more broadly, but who were like assumed to be women at the time. And um, we'll talk about that more because we're going to go into how like the names of a lot of programs have shifted more into gender studies from women's studies. But just want to put in that caveat that like we're not only talking about women, but I'm also not 
going to change the wording in the historical sense because that's like where these programs came from. So with that, the first definition says women and gender studies is feminist as opposed to simply focusing on content about women or gender. It is interdisciplinary and it is its own distinctive methodological and pedagogical approaches to ask new questions both in research and in classroom contexts. Okay, the next definition says early women's studies began spurred by the women's movement with a focus on women's liberation. Over time, the recognition that women's liberation is tied to many other kinds of liberation, as well as the recognition that the category, quote, women is too limited to to encompass all of the aspirations that had become part of women and gender studies, led to a widening of issues beneath the WGS women and gender studies umbrella. Today, we describe this field as being about ending sexism, racism, classism, heterosexism, slash homophobia, xenophobia, ableism, ageism, human domination of the natural environment, and a host of other injustices. Oh, yeah. All great things. All great things. And then I pulled out one more from this book that I wanted to talk about, um, which is about the involvement of, of queer, queer theory within women and gender studies which says WGS as a field of critical inquiry and a sphere of political agency has from its beginning challenged norms and ideals of citizenship, personhood, embodied slash gendered subjectivity and sexuality and the rights and privileges assigned there to, to invoke a familiar adage, feminism was queer before queer was queer. And so, yeah, those are just a few little definitions um, that, that I relate to that I thought would would be helpful. I love that. Thank you for sharing, Zoe. If our listeners don't know what gender studies is or didn't, I, I feel that they probably do now. I hope so. I feel like I'm I'm a little bit teaching a class right now, so <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm like now turn to page 31. <laughs> um and then lastly, for, for this little section explaining gender studies, I wanted to talk a little about Bell Hooks, who is a really big influence of mine and of the pods. And we talked about this on our Bell Hooks tribute episode. Um, and her book, Teaching to Transgress, has a really big influence on feminist pedagogy at large within gender studies and definitely on my own teaching and learning styles. And um, her work was influenced by and in conversation with Pedagogy of the Oppressed. Um, but she was really early in taking like critical pedagogy and looking specifically at applying it to or with like a feminist lens to gender studies. And so one thing that I think is super relevant to this episode as we're going to get into, um, you know, more public opinions on gender studies is her idea that part of the importance of it is that w- one of the big issues with society is the lack of access to the truth. And that um, gender studies and critical studies in general provides people with with an access to, to truthful information, which really lacks in a lot of um, educational spaces and spaces in general, especially in the U.S. Um, another big part of that that she talks about is making the classroom a, a democratic setting where everyone feels a responsibility to contribute to a central goal of transformative pedagogy. So, um, like, feminist classrooms aren't meant to be, like lecture based where a teacher's teaching and students are just receiving information. It's really meant to be discussion based and like everyone's like learning from each other. And um, in this democratic setting, like she's talking about, 
And then there's one quote that I wanted to share. Yeah, so she has this quote that I really like that is about um, jargon in academia, which we talked about on our episode last week about how, like, we feel as a pod about, you know, not using jargon that's hard to understand. And so I felt this was really relevant. And so she says, imagine what a change has come about within feminist movements when students, most of whom are female, come to women's studies classes and read what they're told is feminist theory, only to feel that what they're reading has no meaning, cannot be understood, or when understood, in no way connects to lived realities beyond the classroom. As feminist activists, we might ask ourselves of what use is feminist theory that assaults the fragile psyches of women struggling to throw off patriarchy's oppressive yoke. And I love that. And then also the last thing I wanted to say about that is that um, I was really thinking about something that one of my professors in undergrad said about gender studies, which is that it's one of the only fields in academia, the caveat here being like other identity-based fields, which we'll get to a little bit, um, that really does have a specific politics attached to it. Not that everyone is exactly aligned, but you have to be like in some way left-leaning to be within gender studies. That's just the nature of it yeah I love that I feel like that's one of the things that makes it like such a space of radical potential within academia um I guess I wanted to ask before we get into more of like the history of all of this because like you've told us a little bit off the podcast about gender studies being viewed as like a less quote-unquote real degree or like being less marketable than other degrees um obviously as an English major just like hilarious the idea of degrees being marketable it's like (laughs) what does that even mean um I don't know like banks and other big evil corporations literally don't care what you major in and no one else has any money so I kind of just feel like it's a bit of a toss-up in any case but I guess I was just curious to hear like your personal perspective like if there's anything you wanted to share about what it's felt like for you to tell people that you do gender studies um, and like what kind of reactions people have had to that that might be weird. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of like misconceptions and I feel like most people just have no idea what it means. Like I've been like studying in this field for 10 years and I doubt most people in my life could answer the question of what it is. Um, (laughs) Honestly, even like my parents who are supportive, I don't think could like tell you what I'm doing. I think they would just be like, yep. (laughs) (laughs) But I was trying to think of like a few specific reactions that I thought were, were funnier to share. And one that I was thinking of is actually a reaction that one of my really good friends got in undergrad. And so she, she was traveling with her mom and someone asked what she was studying in undergrad and she said gender studies. And this person goes, boys are boys and girls are girls. What is there to study? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's kind of iconic in a cursed way. Like, exactly. Um, yeah, so that I just, yeah, like it's hilarious because also it's like, I'm like, what are you going to say to that? You're not going to, like, have this whole political education moment with this person while you're on vacation with your mother. Yeah, Um, certainly not. Yeah. Honestly, like, thank you to the timing of COVID for sparing me a lot of interactions since starting my master's. But one of the other reactions that came to mind that's just, like, a more, like, succinct reaction is when I was applying to grad school, I was at um, 
a family dinner and an extended relative family friend will say asked what I was applying to grad school for and I was like oh I'm looking at, at gender studies programs and this man just looks at me and goes oh and then says nothing else and like does <laughs> not speak to me for the rest of this gathering yikes <laughs> um so yeah and then still when I saw extended family over the summer I was like filling them in told them what I was doing and a couple of them were like, wow, that's like such a pivot. And I was like, I literally have an undergraduate degree in gender studies. Like, what are we talking about? <laughs> um, and I mean, sure, like in in some ways from things I was doing before, but like also not really. And a lot of people have this reaction when I tell them what I'm studying or like that I'm getting the dual degree. And they're like, you have like so many interests. Or they'll be like, wow, those are like such different degrees. Like, what do you even want to do? And I just like don't. Because your other know. degree is in social work for yeah people who don't know yes. that. And how could you possibly apply gender studies to social work? Because <laughs> people with genders don't need social workers. <laughs> um, and people would say that in undergrad, too, because I, I went to art school. I was getting, like, a f- documentary photography degree and gender and sexuality studies. And, yeah, it's, like, very common with gender studies because it's interdisciplinary, like I was saying, for people to do it alongside other disciplines or for schools to even, like, set it up that way so that it is, like, a concentration within other things. Um, I've had, like, friends and peers who've done women and gender studies before going into, like, med school and law school. And we've talked about, like, those fields on the pod, which are both things that, like, really need people that have a material feminist analysis. So I would argue that that is a good thing. And Mm -hmm. But a lot of people are just like, wow, I don't get it. That's so many interests. How do you – (laughs) what? Yeah, I feel like that part specifically is so funny to me. I like I also feel like I got that reaction a lot because I was for a brief time an English and psychology double major. Um, I honestly ended up dropping the psych major partly because people within the department were like, I just don't get why you also have to do English. Like if you really want to pursue psychology, you can't major well, in English as well. Psychologists oh. famously don't read, Ozzy, so. Right, <laughs> so true. Um, and, in, you know, books famously are not about people's interior psyches as well. <laughs> but exactly. um, I don't know. It's like people don't just have one interest, first of all, and that's fine. Also, like you were saying, like you can have multiple degrees and like do work at the intersections of those fields, which is very important. But also like what you're majoring in isn't even the biggest determinant necessarily of what like your final job or career will be. I just think there's a lot of reasons why this is very silly to me. But also, I just wanted to say, most importantly, I saw this tweet today that said, humanities degrees are important because they create the kind of people I want to hang out with. And (laughs) I just think that is so true. Yes. It is a joke, but also, like, I feel like we need people in the world who are experts on, like, how to help people have meaningful human relationships. That's not just, like, something that we are all born knowing how to do. And those people often are also, like, good at being in relationship and, like, being good friends, being good partners, because they've done a lot of work. thank you, Ozzy. Yes. So this is like specifically about the two of you as well. And and you as an English major. <laughs> yes. Shout so out true. to yes. us. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it's very weird to me to be like, we don't want people to be like thinking about how to have meaningful human relationships. Um, and that is the end of this rant. But I just get 
so annoyed when people hate on humanities and even like social science degrees because it's mm-hmm. just like what you don't even know what you're talking about like what yeah yeah totally i saw that tweet today too and it was because friend of the pod liz polka retweeted it oh my and god my friend of the pod i mean friend of kellen who's been on the pod <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so I think next we wanted to talk about some more of like the background on the field. Yeah, so as I mentioned, like gender studies really started through feminist movements and the idea for women and gender studies programs was particularly inspired by the consciousness raising groups in the 60s and 70s, which stemmed from the idea that radicalizing women started from like educating women about their conditions and teaching them that the personal is political. And that was a really big component of that like era of of feminist movements and of other social movements as well. And mind you, at this time, it was very, very rare for women or people of color to be admitted into universities. Like higher education was extremely dominated by white men. And I know that we will get some more stats on that in a little bit. So the first women's studies program started at San Diego State University in 1970. And then programs continued to to grow from there, primarily through the 70s and 80s. Fun fact, the school where I and ultimately finished my undergraduate um, <laughs> women, they call it women, gender and sexuality studies degree, was from the first school that ever had a graduate program. Um, and one of the first for undergrad, which started in 1972. And then I also looked up my current program, but it wasn't founded till 1979. So they were a little late to the game. <laughs> um, but it is like a Jesuit school, as I've mentioned on other episodes. So I guess, I guess it makes sense. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so when they started, essentially all of the programs were called women's studies, um, which has mm-hmm. since changed uh, a lot. at at a lot of programs and they tend to be called a mix of like women and gender studies or women, gender and sexuality studies. And as I kind of read from that book, that comes from an understanding that it is a much broader field than just talking about women. And it really is, but I I pretty much just stick to like gender studies for short, because I think that's the most broad and like encompasses all of those things. Mm -hmm. The official name at my school now is women's studies slash gender studies, which is such a long name. Yeah. Like, why is studies in it twice? (laughs) (laughs) Unnecessary. Anyway, if anyone from my department is listening, change it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, I also just wanted to mention that um, around around the same time, there were other departments that stem from social movements as well, particularly thinking about race and ethnicity studies, which are often pretty closely linked with gender studies departments. Um, in the program programs that I've been in, you've been required to kind of take classes across both. Um, and yeah, I think that they're pretty unique fields in that because they came from social movements, they tend to have a lot more radical potential, at least, and like more radical professors. And then lastly, I just wanted to mention that there's been this like tension pretty much forever in the field of gender studies between it being this like institutionalized version of feminism while still being a way that women and gender expansive folks, um, as well as other marginalized people were able to get into academia at all. And is kind of thought of as like this theoretical arm to the feminist movement, but there's a lot of tension in regard to like, how do you create that space without essentially becoming like a sellout to academia? 
Mm -hmm. And we don't need to go too Mm -hmm. far down that rabbit hole, but I just wanted to bring up that that dichotomy. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit also just about sort of the broader history of college subjects being viewed as like less marketable or bullshitty or whatever term we want to use, because I feel like it's actually really interesting and kind of like instructive for some of the current things that we're seeing from conservatives. Um, And I think it goes beyond just one specific field, even though right now gender studies is definitely like facing a lot Mm -hmm. of this kind of vitriol. Um, So people have been concerned about college subjects that are supposedly too easy since at least the 1950s in the U.S. Um, I think it's not a coincidence that this was also a time of growing organizing around racial and gender equality. Um, Like some of those forces that we're going to see come to the fore in the 60s are starting to develop and that we're already sort of starting to see this like academic reaction against that um in response to it yeah it's really interesting that you bring that up Ozzy I was just gonna say like when a lot of institutions were just like sort of um already sort of bourgeois white men there's a lot less it seems like concern about whether like an English degree was worth the same as a math degree was worth the same as a history degree was worth the same as an engineering degree because they were all like from the same class and sort of moving towards and accomplishing the same things like there's so much more sort of class solidarity when it came to academia and like the entrance ability to enter academia so I I think this is like really opening my brain a lot what you're talking about yeah definitely um I feel like I don't know it's like not to me it's like not necessarily obvious that you would have that thought that like English and math degrees aren't the same um I feel like I don't know like at some level it's just this idea that someone else is caring a lot that your degree that you spent years of your life on and a ton of money at this point isn't going to earn you a lot of money. And it's like, why, why is that anyone else's problem? Like, I don't know, maybe it's bad, but even if we agree (laughs) on that, like, why do you care? Um, And I don't know. I think that like, there is this piece of it, especially like you're talking about since like, there's been a little bit more class diversity in more elite institutions that there's this feeling that people are like, getting diplomas that they don't deserve somehow or Mm. like earning a diploma for a degree that isn't as much work and that somehow like devalues the degree it's always like in this language of value for the other college graduates who are like implicitly the wealthy ones who quote unquote deserve to be there have the people who think that heard of legacy students i'd love to know no they are legacy students i mean yeah yeah i feel like and they just like think that that's how it should be in a lot yeah. i mean but then they're like other people have unearned degrees right but oh. not me my mom bought mine <laughs> mine's legit it was paid for with real money <laughs> um but i don't know i think like there's also this element of it that definitely we still see today and i think was a part of it even back in the 50s that it's like this feeling that people are getting away with something, I think people really don't, especially like more conservative elements of culture really don't like this feeling that like someone else is having it easier than you. Um, Like they're skating by on these easy classes. They're not really learning whatever the real knowledge you're supposed to get out of college is. 
um, which to me is also just like a very warped idea of what education should be and like how actual learning and growth happen for people. But I also just, I don't know, there's something very like creepy to me about how much like grown adults care what teenagers are doing with like their one wild and precious four-year degree um which again is not even that important for many people in terms of what their actual job will be Mm -hmm. um like I don't know I think like conservative politicians and like conservatism as a political force in this country they're afraid of gender studies because they recognize that they maintain power by keeping people ignorant about Mm -hmm. our material realities and like how we might change those how we might think about those differently Mm -hmm. but also I think a lot of individual conservatives just get this weird kind of like psychosexual thrill out of like being able to talk about young college women as like dumb sluts essentially (laughs) like there's just something very very bizarre about it to Mm. me um but anyway enough of my psychoanalyzing conservatives (laughs) let's get into some details about kind of the origins of this type of moral panic in the 50s Um, So one of the first forms of humanities degrees getting hate was this concept of underwater basket weaving as a class. Um, And y'all may have heard this before. I feel like it's still sometimes used as a phrase. Um, I have this very specific memory that there was like something in Neopets that was called underwater basket weaving (laughs) when I was a kid. So like it's in the culture. Um, Basically just means like an easy pass class, a subject that's like not seen as requiring the same amount of work or intelligence as other subjects. By the way, weaving a basket underwater sounds very difficult. Right. Just for the record. Side note, I mean, that's kind of like part of what I want to say about this is like, I, so the exact origin of this phrase, I haven't been able to figure out. It seems like it originated as kind of like slang amongst college students at multiple universities. But also underwater basket weaving is, well, basket weaving in general is like a common crafting practice Mm -hmm. for indigenous communities in North America. Um, And also typically like the reeds are soaked in water and then woven. The weaving doesn't actually happen underwater, but leave it to racist white youths to get their facts wrong, I suppose. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's just, it definitely has this association of being like an indigenous practice that I feel like that's not a coincidence Um, I don't know who actually first said this but I feel confident saying that's like in there somewhere um and basically this phrase started to like spread it was used more and more commonly and like started to get used in student publications by the 1960s it had been like picked up and was being pretty widely used in mainstream media um and the term during this time was kind of associated with like classes taken by athletes there was sort of the dumb jock stereotype even at this time um but also just classes taken by any women generally mm-hmm. um who at this point were still a small enough proportion of college students that that maybe like made more sense that you could view all college women as some <laughs> sort of coherent group um but i think like we can see how even before gender studies specifically was the target of this kind of energy gender was still very much an organizing principle of how these jokes worked either by targeting again all women really or by targeting this sort of like hyper masculine ideal that like if you're overly masculine maybe you're also kind of stupid (laughs) um so the vietnam war era also introduced a new aspect to this idea of useless college classes um since men could delay being drafted by going to college. Mm-hmm. The stereotype arose of some people who would basically go to college just to avoid the draft and take some like presumably nonsense college courses, um, which 
you know, if that's what they're doing, slay. But <laughs> again, like, I'm just like, this is the kind of thing where if this hadn't been tied to like a war effort, I don't think anyone would care this much. Like, there was this very clear mapping of feelings about a decline of American control in world politics and like American men who were aiding that decline by refusing to participate in an imperialist war being placed onto this sort of like, oh, they're getting fake degrees. And that became like this way that you could talk about men avoiding the draft without actually literally talking about it. Um, I don't think anyone would really have cared if these were like old retired men doing degrees that were seen as silly or useless. It's specifically this idea that people were like wasting their youth, wasting their money-making potential or their war-fighting potential to help the state maintain power. Um, So patriotism as an ideology kind of begins to include this element that getting a degree that's not valuable to the state isn't just silly or a waste of time or money, but it's actively contributing to the destruction of American society as we know it, (laughs) which again, we do love to see. Of course, of course. (laughs) Um, The destruction of American society, not people like thinking that college is the destruction of American society. So as we move into the 70s, we start to see gender ideology becoming a much more specific part of this type of fear. Um, Unsurprisingly, like you talked about, Zoe, this is also when some of the first gender studies programs developed and like a time when much larger numbers of women started attending colleges and universities. Um, Most of the like kind of fancy elite colleges didn't even admit women until the 1970s. Uh, with Ivy League alumni saying such things as, quote, what is all this nonsense about admitting women to Princeton? A good old-fashioned whorehouse would be considerably more efficient and much, much cheaper, unquote. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like, Can I just add horrifying. that one of the, like, there was an actual Supreme Court case in ni- 1991 that where the United States Supreme Court ruled that Princeton eating clubs had to admit women because one of them was wow. refusing to admit women in the 1990s and that they got sued so much that the supreme court was finally like fine we'll literally rule on your stupid like social clubs and whether <laughs> or not like they have to be co-ed and that's how hostile princeton was slash is to women but anyway i digress helen are you suggesting it's not fixed now we have been solved everything okay no spoilers guys we haven't even gotten to the modern day yet um i also just have another quote that i had to share so this is from 1967 yale's president said quote our concern is not so much what yale can do for women but what can women do for yale unquote i'm just like what what um anyway Also during this time, um, there was a German radio station that aired a comedy sketch about bullshit courses that was called Yodeling School. And in this sketch, a young woman is interviewed about why she's taking the class. She basically says, like, I'm a housewife, I'm a mother, and I just want to have something of my own, a yodeling diploma. Um, And, you know, it's like, I like when I was reading this, I was like, this is kind of like poignant. Like it sounds mm. like it would be sad, but it's like played for laughs. Um, it's basically just this really horrifying thing where women are being mocked for being stupid and not having enough education, not being able to do like real college classes, but also being mocked for like trying to do the very thing that could help them get to a more secure economic situation, like trying to go to school or get 
some sort of degree or certification. Um, and the like sexist underlying piece of this ideology really did not improve into the 1980s and 90s. Um, this was a time when women began to slightly outnumber men in bachelor's and master's programs, and they were starting to catch up to similar numbers in PhD programs. Um, by the early 2000s, women significantly outnumbered men in bachelor's and master's degrees. Um, they made up about 60% of all people earning those degrees, and they matched men in PhD programs with the numbers kind of hovering around 50-50 um, throughout those years. Um, Unsurprisingly, this data didn't track trans or non-binary folks at all, so we have no way of knowing what like the exact gender breakdown was, mm -hmm. but for sure a lot more cis women and people assumed to be cis women were entering higher education like never before, and like you were saying, Helen, this went along with a real like anti-education shift in conservative status quo American thinking, um, and I don't think it's a coincidence that as more women and people of color, queer people were entering colleges and universities, these fears started to become much more intense that some people don't deserve to be here. Some people don't deserve these degrees. We're not going to say exactly why, but it's implied. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like, basically, this idea starts to come up that like, going to college actually might not be that hard. And these fears coalesce around that. Um, more recently, I would say, like, really sparked by the 2008 financial crisis, these concerns also took on this kind of specific financial and class element. There were a lot of concerns and lawsuits um, about, <laughs> quote unquote, too many women and people of color and queer people yeah. getting admitted to colleges that they supposedly didn't deserve to be at specifically by applying to humanities programs that are viewed as easier to get into. Um, so the idea being like, if you apply to Columbia in an English major, they might let you in more easily than if you're applying for like a physics major. Um, and this obviously goes along with like fears of affirmative action, particularly from wealthy white families who are concerned about losing their legacy admission. They're mm -hmm. concerned about basically it being harder than it used to be for their kids to get into selective elite colleges. Um, I really don't know if there's research on this, but anecdotally, it does not feel at all true to me that humanities students do less work or get better grades more easily or are smarter, have higher IQs, like whatever the thing is. Um, like, I don't feel like humanities students are doing less than science students. And regardless, it's just really not that easy to get into college or especially to afford to pay for college, mm -hmm. no matter what you're studying. Um, and I just I feel like even if there are differences in how difficult certain programs are, that really shouldn't be the main thing we're thinking about when we're thinking about, like, what are we funding? Who's mm -hmm. being admitted to schools? Um there's this idea that like humanities departments admit people who wouldn't be admitted otherwise, that it's kind of like a loophole to get into a selective school. And I think if you're in a program like Black Studies or Gender Studies um, that also has this more like intrinsic tie to deconstructing the power of capitalism, it becomes this even more perfect punching bag to be like, this is like terrible. This is destroying the America we all know and love um, <laughs> that reactionary social forces love to promote Good. um <laughs> yeah like you know thanks I hate it um 
So that that's like a brief history of what I will, I guess, call like educational patriotism, education patriotism that I, I like I really feel like has become a pretty significant force like throughout our sort of lifetimes, like younger millennial lifetimes. Um, and is something we're seeing continue with like a lot of what we're talking about today, as well as like anti-queer youth legislation. Um mm-hmm. So with that, I think we're going to move on to some examples of people with power displaying this ideology out in the world. What does that look like? Yeah, totally. This has come up a bunch, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, in the context of the Biden student loan forgiveness plan. So I'm just going to kind of go through and give some examples of things that people have been saying. There are definitely some um Common themes that we'll get to. Um, So the first is a quote from Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. Um, He says, very unfair. This is in a speech. He also tweeted something along these lines. He said, very unfair for a truck driver to have to pay for a loan for someone who got like a PhD in gender studies. Um, Okay. Aside from that, that isn't how this works. There's like 10 PhD programs for gender studies in the country and they all accept like two students. So just (laughs) the, the likelihood Right. And it's like also worth noting that for the majority of PhD programs are actually getting paid to go like you might take out loans because the wages are abysmal. But like, generally speaking, you're not paying tuition to get a PhD. Obviously, we do know that fact checking right wingers is stupid and pointless. Um And I think that's especially true for something as mundane as like how PhD stipends work. But I did just want to point out for our listeners that this debt cancellation stuff is actually not helping people pay for PhDs in any subject, whether gender studies or otherwise. Um, But to move on to the next quote, Donald Trump Jr., Don, said something very similar. I feel like there may have been some kind of like, um, you know, PR group that just helped them all turn these things out. So he said, Biden essentially wants blue collar workers like truck drivers who didn't have the luxury of going to college to get drunk for four years to bail out a bunch of upper middle class kids who chose to spend tens of thousands of dollars they didn't have on worthless gender studies degrees. I mean, there's a lot to break down here. They're upper middle class, but they don't have tens of thousands of dollars. I was about to say, if I was upper middle class, I wouldn't have all the debt. (laughs) Thank you very much. Like, I just feel like these people don't understand how money works at all. They've also never cared about truck drivers before in their lives. Twenty dollars, like, like they have no idea. Don 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 Junior has never paid for anything. Like it's like I would I laugh at the idea that like college was anything but him getting drunk for four years or more realistically just like snorting coke for four years. Although he's let me like do a quick Wikipedia search fifty two whatever he's been snorting coke for fifty two years. Like this is just <laughs> his life, like uh, unreal. But again, fact checking conservatives never works. I'm just gonna keep pushing through. <laughs> so the governor of Mississippi is this guy named Tate Reeves said in a speech that it was unfair that his state would be paying off debts for, quote, Harvard doctorate gender degree studies majors living in California. Okay, I'm sorry. I know it's pointless to fact check. I have one more fact check because Harvard does not have a gender study doctorate. And (laughs) my thing here is just like, I would have more respect for this roast. Like I could take the roast if any of these were at all accurate. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, yeah, it's, it's wild stuff. Um, Christian Walker, who y'all will probably know as the most recognizable Black gay Republican TikToker, or if you don't know him from that description, he is also the son of Georgia Senate candidate slash former football player Herschel Walker. By son, I do mean one of the legitimate sons. There's a whole other thing about Herschel Walker having a billion secret children, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so Christian Walker tweeted, quote, there's nothing fair about forcing your local mailman to pay off the student loan of your neighbor who studied medieval gender studies and now can't find a job. And finally, just the last one I wanted to quote was from a right-wing parody site that published a fake transcript of a Biden speech that read, quote, people who take out loans for stuff like engineering or nursing will not receive any assistance because they made a good decision. We only want hardworking taxpayers to pay for degrees like gender studies or feminist dance theory. Okay, so this, I just feel like they specifically know this person in my program because, (laughs) shout out, um, she, in our feminist pedagogy class, we had to design a course syllabus and she really did make a syllabus about feminist dance theory. And that is so (laughs) specific that I'm like, they know her. (laughs) She has a hater. She has like a friend with conservative parents or something. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I thought that last one was interesting as well, partly because nursing is actually listed as a profession that deserves to have loans forgiven and is like standing in contrast to what a lot of the other folks were saying, which is that no one's loan should be forgiven because it's all gender studies people and truck drivers or quote mailmen were paying for it. And like that is truck drivers being, of course, one of the most masculinized professions, mailmen being literally a gendered word, and gender studies being an overwhelmingly feminized discipline. Um, And this is a little bit of a side note, but it is worth noting that Biden's debt relief program does actually overwhelmingly benefit women. So um, I got this data from the United States of Women, which is a nonprofit that deals with women's and gender issues. And according to them, about two thirds of student debt in the United States is held by women and black women on average have $10,000 more student debt than other women borrowers. They also note that over half of the trans population in America holds student debt. So This is absolutely a gendered issue, and it's, of course, not surprising that the GOP is turning to gendered stereotypes to undermine the popularity of debt erasure. Um, And I want to note, before we get into some more, and Ozzy's touched on it a little bit, some more of like why gender studies is such a convenient punching bag, get into some of the crackdowns that have been happening on gender studies programs, both in the United States and abroad in recent years. So... First of all, we've actually seen bills in the last year or so in states like Wyoming and Oklahoma that would completely revoke funding for public education institutions that offer gender studies curricula. Um, So far, none of these bills have passed, as far as I'm aware, but the push on the right for this kind of legislative action is gaining steam. So I, as I was doing research on this, read a lot of really shitty things like that fake Biden speech. Um, There's another piece that the James G. Martin Institute put out calling for more of these sorts of pushes in state houses. Um, And the author, who is like an actual, honest to God, professor of political science, who I refuse to name because um, he's a dickhead and an enemy of the pod, 
Um, he argued that, quote, legislatures should ask two questions. Are disciplines engaged in scientific inquiry and are disciplines promoting activism or serving the liberal arts? Once they pose these questions, they are duty bound to cease funding unprofessional ideological pseudo disciplines. Universities should be required to post all syllabi online and faculty should have to keep an updated copy of their curriculum vita online to assist legislatures in their efforts to scrutinize corrupt disciplines. First of all, LOL at the idea that political science is quote unquote scientific. It's a whole other issue. I think this really speaks to a lot of what Ozzy was talking about, about the sort of like absolutely arbitrary measures by which different disciplines are judged um, and how convenient it is that those measures just happen to, um, you know, argue for uh, the erasure of gender studies disciplines. Um, But even when you don't have legislatures banning um, gender studies programs within states, it's important to note that gender studies is facing a lot of the same pressures that other humanities and interdisciplinary programs are facing as education continues to be defunded and corporatized across the nation. And they are often one of the first programs to have their funding revoked. So, it you know, we talked about in an episode earlier in the pandemic, that I believe was called COVID-19 in universities, which actually Liz earlier mentioned, friend of the pod, was on. Um, We talked about the ways that universities were taking advantage of the COVID pandemic to like speed up efforts to defund and restructure departments that haven't been seen as those moneymakers that Ozzy was talking about. And according to a data brief from the National Women's Studies Association, COVID austerity has particularly impacted um, in... uh, their words, quote, the fields of women's gender, sexuality, and feminist studies. Austerity measures couched as necessary evils during a global pandemic are part of a larger decades-long effort to cripple women's gender and sexuality studies programs, as well as ethnic, African-American slash Africana, Latinx, and Indigenous studies. Um, And Laura couldn't make it because they have uh, some migraine issues today. Shout out to Laura. We love you and we miss you. But they oh, wanted to hi, know, Laura. yeah, they wanted to note that when they w- were in grad school, their department housed American studies, African American studies, Native American studies, Caribbean studies, and gender studies. Um, and some of these, ha- some of these have been separated out since they left. But I think. Laura was saying basically that it's important in general to see all the ways universities dismiss and limit humanities in general. And Laura wanted to also know that their department was the only majority minority department in the entire university and grad students in that department, PhD students, their stipend was $12,000 a year while people in the sciences got double that. I'll actually Um, add a quick addendum to that. Um, I got accepted into the gender studies program at the school where Laura went and um, for a PhD in gender studies. And so the grad student union had fought to raise that stipend and they won. And what the school did was like they created better packages and then they froze funding for two years, um, allegedly for other reasons, but like essentially to wait for the students that were in the union to age out is my theory um but so like i got in but like then they froze all of their funding so anyway so you weren't offered any funding basically correct but they were not open about that when i applied when i like met with faculty when i got in none of this that's so fucked up yeah yeah and 
when people have done analyses of sort of what proportion of the school uh, aged student population is getting degrees in gender studies, it can be hard to figure out exactly because so many gender studies programs are within the, like a larger cultural studies um, uh, department that has a bunch of little pockets, for example, sort of sub department subheadings. Um, I saw in 2017, there was an estimate that I think it was like 0.4% of uh, de of degrees that were awarded went to people in cultural studies sort of writ large, and a portion of those were gender studies. Um, according to more recent data, I looked at information from Data USA, um, in 2020, 2,802 2, 2 degrees, and that includes associates, bachelors, masters, and doctorates, were awarded in women's studies in the United States. And according to the Education Data Initiative, 4 million degrees total in including associates, bachelors, masters, and doctorates were awarded in 2020 in the United States. So just to do the math for you, that means that women's studies degrees accounted for less than 0.1% of all degrees awarded in 2020. But budget cuts and um, are often still directed at these kinds of programs, even though they're already super small. Um, and to return to the data brief that I was mentioning earlier from the National Women's Studies Association, they said to this point, quote, budget cuts to these programs and centers were often threatened prior to COVID-19, as many higher up administrators fail to recognize the work of these fields as valuable, despite the wide scale contributions these fields make in all facets of university life. Many women's gender and sexuality studies programs are encountering administrative pressure to dismantle their autonomous standalone program status and merge with other departments or programs, basically moving backwards towards the kind of situation that Laura was in when they were in grad school. And the data brief also lists examples from across the country, including Oregon State, Purdue, Iowa State, other institutions where the gender studies programs saw budget cuts, tenure lines removed, or even completely restructuring that had departments merging with other centers. So this is just like a brief rundown of what's been happening in the United States. Yeah, so there's also some um, examples globally of uh, similar things. So a few years ago, the fascist government in Hungary banned gender studies, citing that it is, quote, not a science, it's an ideology. Which, I mean, like, not false, but what do you think, like, trickle-down <laughs> economics is? But okay. <laughs> um, and this is under Prime Minister Viktor Orban, whose politics have frequently been compared to that of, you may have heard of him, Mr. Trump. Yeah, as a side note, Orban has become, like, increasingly popular on the right in America, um, with, like, Republican intellectuals openly praising him. And then, like, also center-right publications like The Economist putting out articles with titles like, and this is a direct quote, why is the American right obsessed with Viktor Orban? Which, like, why do you think? Because um, he's <laughs> a psychopath who does things like so. What's always about to talk about? <laughs> yeah. So, fun fact: I had gotten into a master's program in Budapest, Hungary, right before <laughs> COVID at Central European University. And also, if you're like, why do you have connections to all of these schools? It's because, as mentioned, there's five graduate programs in gender studies, <laughs> and I applied to all of them. Um, 
but and brag have gotten into at least two that we've mentioned on the pod. Um and the one I <laughs> and the one I go to. Um <laughs> anyway. Um but so their faculty was really involved in fighting against this this legislation. Side note, they're pretty much like all communists, which is why I wanted to go there, but COVID ruined my life. Um <laughs> Still, still low-key trying to get a PhD there. Stay tuned. I digress. Um, anyway, this school is one of the two universities in the country of Hungary that teaches gender studies. And um, they said that it was, quote, a significant loss to the Hungarian scholarly community and for democratically minded policymakers. And Ava Fodder, who has been teaching gender studies there for 15 years, said, quote, whether or not you believe in the academic merit of gender studies as a field, it is a legitimate academic field. So banning it is a historic violation of academic freedom. And as far as I know, at the time, they were planning to move the gender studies program um, because the school had another campus in Vienna. So due to the ban, they were actually moving their program to a different country. Yeah. Yeah, it is in Vienna now. Um, I remember hearing about this news as it was all happening a few years ago, and I was looking into it. The gender studies program at Central European University has always been explicitly political. I read their statement of purpose, which was written when the department was founded in 2001, and I just wanted to highlight one excerpt, which was, quote, the critique of dominant patterns in global hierarchies and the construction of knowledge, social critique, and the development of an interrelated variety of perspectives on gender and in gender studies are of crucial importance in the endeavor to produce insights of regional and global relevance. The complexity of gender is therefore understood as a product of the often unequal entangling of global and local forces in the region. Developing integrative perspectives in gender studies also means investigating the complex relations between the symbolic and the social order, the entangled relations between gender, race, and class, and the dynamics combining the reproduction of social persons and societies. Finally, focusing on gender in all of these senses implies developing self-reflective perspectives in gender studies, which is maybe another definition like what we were talking about earlier. It does make sense why someone like Viktor Orban would want to ban this kind of knowledge production, and it makes sense why so many American conservatives are looking to imitate his moves to do so in the sort of legislation that we talked about earlier. So I just wanted to close out by thinking for just a moment about why this gender studies stuff is so threatening. And like I said, Ozzy touched on it a lot, I think, earlier on. I also think that some of the theory that we talked about in our Marxist feminism slash bodily autonomy episode is very helpful um, in understanding why gender studies programs are so threatening to conservatives. But basically, these are places where you're much more likely to be encouraged to think critically about the structures like the nuclear family, like patriarchy, like compulsory heterosexuality, like the gender binary, etc. And these concepts, as I think all, you know, Marxist feminists know, are central to the functioning of our hierarchical society writ large. And I also think it's it's very telling that these issues are tied to the current trans panic. Like, I think this is a really convenient way for conservatives to basically hitch the anti-debt forgiveness wagon, which is not that popular, to their larger culture war issue of attacking trans and queer people. So I saw one Federalist article that made the argument against debt forgiveness this way. It said, quote, if young adults can make permanent major changes to their bodies, they can repay the money they borrowed to go to college, which is 
so stupid yes. on so many levels. How do you like? How <laughs> do you <laughs> like, figure we, that? <laughs> we don't even have time to like get into it. But but like I it, like to us, obviously that reads as a non sequitur. But I think that it it is you know important to note that conservatives are really trying to tie this issue of debt forgiveness and probably will continue trying to tra- tie other issues to what they see as like a pretty successful like culture war wedge you know which is again like the hatred that they're ginning up against queer and especially trans people and so I did want to just note that this is part of all of that like as we're thinking through the ways that gender studies is invoked today whether that's with regards to the debt issue or anything else yeah that was so well said and I just wanted to close us off with one more bell hooks quote Yes. (laughs) And she says, many students still seek to enter feminist classrooms because they continue to believe that there, more than in any other place in the academy, they will have an opportunity to experience education as the practice of freedom. I love that. Ozzy, do you want to close us out? Yeah. Um, also, Ozzy, the effect on your camera right I know, now is I do wild. not know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to figure out if I could fix it, and then I was like, I, I can't. I, I feel like you're, like, inside a, like, like, old television. Yeah. I, I am. That's actually what's happening. <laughs> Ozzy's broadcasting on. to us from the um, 1960s in the midst yes, of the underwater that's how I got all this underwater information. <laughs> I've been reporting live. <laughs> but yes that's our episode um hope you enjoyed it and or learned something preferably both um <laughs> preferably. either you can give us money on patreon at patreon.com slash season of the bitch someone um, has to help pay my loans for these gender yeah, studies degrees like <laughs> We've established we don't have any money because we're all humanities majors. So (laughs) um, all of the truck drivers and mailmen out there listening to us, we love you. (laughs) We Um, love you. We also have a Discord that you can join through Patreon where you can chat with us and our many amazing listeners, many of whom are truck drivers themselves. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Season of the Bee. Uh, send us an email. Why not? Season of the Bee at gmail.com. And you can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Uh, tell us what you majored in in college and <laughs> did it work out for you? Just kidding. Don't tell us that. It might get too dark. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh... <laughs> I think that's it for this week. Love Love you all. Love you. Love you. Bye bye. Season of the bitch.